help me welcome to the show for the first time now, uh, I'm certain a newfound friend, Mike Clark. He's right here in the area where I am. I'm uh, in Jensen Beach, and uh, Mike is right here in Florida as well. And so, Mike, welcome to the C.L. Bryan Show. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the opportunity to speak this thing today. Hey, listen, man, we got you, and I'm, I'm trying to pitching you to Hannity's uh, Linda uh, as, we, <laughs> as we speak. We're, we're, we're pitching you to her. And uh, we have uh, uh, Mike Karen Vaughn's husband coming on with us uh, here after you are, are on at the second hour. And we actually got him before Hannity. Hannity's going to have him later on tonight. And, of course, Hannity's been on my show. Michelle, you got to get him back, by the way. Get, get Hannity back on the show. He's been wanting to come on. I want to get you. Okay, but anyway, let's go to you, Mike Clark. Let me ask yes, you. Let me ask you this: Is it possible to describe the panic to an American what these Afghan people must be going through at this time? Tell us about that type of horror that they might be experiencing. <laughs> well, CL, I will tell you this: that uh, for the last couple of days, you know, um, we have all been very as service members that interacted with the Afghan personnel or Afghan um, uh, ter- interpreters and contractors and workers, you know, um, it's very, very stressful right now because they are, they are locked up in their homes. Um, uh, just this morning, one of my, uh, one of my interpreters, my, my a young guy, um, the Taliban was beating on his door and he didn't answer the door. And he was like, I need advice. You know, when do I answer? What do I do? You know? And, and they are terrified because they don't know what they don't know what is going to uh, be the outcome of this. You know, it's like they've invaded and they're driving down the streets and and they're scared. They're very they're terrified for themselves and they're terrified for their families. Mike, you and I uh, had a chance to speak yesterday, and there was something very interesting that uh, you said in our conversation when I I mentioned that everyone from. Uh, Alexander the Great, the Italians, the Russians, and now us. We are being shooed out of Afghanistan. How is it possible, I ask you, that uh, the Afghan people have not been overcome by uh, overwhelming force that has come against them? You shared with me something I think the entire nation and even people around the globe uh, should hear. Talk to us. Um, and, uh, and that's in reference to the, uh, the, the, the why it's been so um, hard to get everybody together, you mean, CL? That's exactly right. Yeah, so um, in our conversation yesterday, we were talking about um, some of the experiences that I have had in reference to um, getting people together. And um, what I personally found out was, was um, when I was in uh, Iraq in 07, 08, um, we had NATO forces with us, you know, um, throughout the country, and I was um, uh, pervy enough to, to be able to travel. And um, I remember um, we had, and I remember the name now, it was the Ugandan forces. So they're NATO to us. They're from Africa. Um, and their job at the time was to guard the chow halls. So when you would walk up as you're going to eat, you would have to unload your weapon, show them that you had an empty weapon, shoot into the, the, the shot barrel, and then you could enter into the chow hall. So I was based in Ramadi, out west, Fallujah and Ramadi. We did route clearance for the uh, 2nd Marine Expeditionary Force. 
Um, so we were based out of there. Um, I remember I had a, um, a senior NCO that was going to get reenlisted. So I flew from Ramadi to Baghdad and, and, you know, interacted for a couple of days and, you know, uh, came back and, and I found that the, the guys in the, the Ugandans in, uh, in Baghdad had a lot better. So I told one of the Ugandans, I said, Hey, you know, you should try to get over to, um, to Baghdad. I said, you know, they got it a little easier. I mean, it's, you know, more populated, whatever. And he said, I can't do that, sir. And I said, well, why not? He said, because he's a different tribe and I will probably kill him. And I said, how can that be? We're NATO forces. He goes, we're NATO forces and we're all together, but he's a different tribe. I would kill him. And I just, I, I, to this day, I still don't understand, you know, how there could be that much animosity amongst you know that those type of people so it's very very hard so it's very tribalistic mike uh you're saying that that from like for you know my locale so you're saying like from here to palm beach uh you can have how many different tribes of afghans with differing uh opinions and differing uh attitudes about what it's important what is important to them talk to us about that so, um, when you have different communities or different villages, you know, you have local elders and elders are in, you know, your oldest person, your, your, your most wisest. And, you know, so everybody that is under them or family, you know, um, that are related come to him. And when it comes to, um, that village, he's the one that talks about what's going to happen. So he's kind of like the mayor of that village. And the problem is, is when there's a conflict on a, or not, I'm not conflict, but a problem with another village, the two elders have to come together and then they have to barter and they have to, you know, and, and the problem is, is when you have 10, 15, 20 communities, nobody has the same opinion. Do they all agree on Sharia law though? Talk to us about what drives their lunacy, what drives their madness. Why are they so foaming at the mouth, appearing to me, just speaking for myself? Why are they seeming so foaming at the mouth crazy? Talk to us. Well, that I really can't elaborate on because, you know, I was on the good side. Um, We didn't really deal a lot with Sharia law, but, you know... um, Sharia law from if you study it, you know, the women are, are second class and they don't let them go to school and they've got to be covered up and they've got to be so it's and it's very stringent. The laws, you know, if you steal something, they'll cut your hand off. If you, you know, it's very, very strict law. And we have been there 20 years and um, 20 years, we've almost harbored a whole generation. I mean, you've got kids that were born there when we got there. And now they're 20 years old. They're educated. They're living kind of the lifestyle of the Western, you know, they're not covering up as much, you know, they're kind of a little bit more liberal and it's going to be a culture shock if the Taliban takes back over and they go back to that type of um, uh, law. Americans think about what he's just said. Here you are, a child that's born 20 years ago when Mike was uh, over there and, you know, in, in that frame of time, 20 years up until now. And you have experienced uh, at least a breath of freedom, uh, somewhat Western, in, in, its, in the way it, it, it's being uh, lived. 
And now that is about to change. Mike, is that why you're receiving these kinds? You said it was a young guy that you were talking to this morning. Is he just a little over 20 or, or in his 20s? Has he experienced freedom most of the time? Talk to us. He is. Yes, he probably has, because, you know, when his, and, and oh, I don't want to put his name on. Um, but anyways, he was probably 15 years old when I was there in 2012. And he was our um, he was our interpreter between myself and the German forces. He was he was a go between between the two of us. Um, so I would say he's probably close to 30 now. Um, but, you know, but he was uh, he was a good kid and he's he's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He's. He's in the he's in the Afghan army now, and and he is he's very very scared of what's going to happen, you know. And I I told him this morning, I said, "Have you applied for your SIV?" You know, and he said, "No, but I've got you know I worked with you." And I said, "I, I know, but you can't leave the country until you apply for your SIV. You know, your your special immigrant visa, and and that's the only that's the only ticket out of the country right now." How did we get, in your opinion, how did we get to this point where America once again is, in fact, uh, not looking good in the eyes of our allies? How did this happen uh, to us? Speak to us from your point of view. I, I'm at a loss for words. I really am. I, I, uh, I, I I am really sad for the the citizens that we left behind, and you know, and again, that's against our. You know, when I I was in the military for twenty two years, and when you go through basic training, you memorize and you live the warrior ethos. You know, which is I will always think about my mission first. I will never leave a comrade behind, fallen comrade or a comrade, either one. I mean, those those are the that's the creed that we live by, and, and you see an instance like this, it, it, it just, it boggles your mind. You have no words to explain how we got so far off the rails and, 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 and where we're headed. I, I'm just, I'm at a loss for words, CL. I really am. When we send in uh, more troops to get people out, our embassy Americans, uh, you know, we, we don't know what, as Mike just said, we don't know how this is going to play out. When you left the military, speak to us from a soldier's point of view. What was the morale like, and what do you expect uh, still having, of course, and you still being a soldier? Uh, talk to us about what is what has changed in the morale of our men, if it has. Uh, talk to us about that. What Are we ready? Are, are, tell us about the mentality of our, our forces now. Well, I, I, I retired in 2016, and... Um, during that time, 2016, you know, and I was, you know, so I was, I was, I was in Iraq. I was in, you know, and, and we had very good morale. You know, we wanted to get the bad guys. We wanted to, you know, we wanted to make sure that, the, you know, the 9-11s don't happen to us anymore. And it was all about, you know, what we call in the engineer community, esprit de corps, you know, which means that, you know, I'll, you know, fight to the ends of the earth to make sure that America is, is, the, the, the best that I can do protected. And, um, and I believe it was still like that, you know, when we, when I left, you know, but what I did, what I did and I had a feeling of is some of my younger soldiers that were coming up, you know, they, um, it's, it's not that there wasn't that, 
that urgency or the, you know, because I was, like I said, I was old school, but it was, it was more, I'm going to go there and I'm going to relieve somebody so that they can come home to their family. And, you know, and that's what soldiers do. I mean, we take care of one another. It's a very close knit group, you know, politics out of the way. We just look out for one another. We make sure that as a leader, as a senior leader, to make sure that my soldiers are taken care of. I bring my soldiers home alive to their families. I mean, that is, is my, is my job. Mike, I don't know if you can speak to this, but uh, I'm going to ask the question then about the introduction of race theory into our military. Does Do you see that being anything that can make our military better? Uh, I just want to hear your take on that, if you can speak to it. Well, and again, CL, this was this was you know this this race theory is is after my time, but I know that when coming up, we were all brothers, we all bled the same. You know, I it didn't matter what background or religion you came from, what color you were from, we were all brothers and sisters, and we looked out for one another like brothers and sisters. And that, my friends, is what soldiers do. And I'm, unfortunately, I'm, I'm afraid that that type of mentality, that type of culture is being assaulted. And this type of soldier that we're talking to on the phone may be among the last of his kind. We're rethinking policing in this country, redefunding them. And so surely they're coming after our military as well. Mike, I want to thank you for being on with me here today. If you had one thing or two things, whatever you want to say, I'm going to give you uh, the last couple of minutes here to say them. What would you like to talk about? What would you like to plug on the air? What would you like to bring our attention to? Speak to us. God bless America. Please, everybody, just God bless America. I mean, we have to get back on track. And how we do it, I have no idea. But we definitely have to, you know, we that flag in America is everything that we have. And we have to fight, fight to the death for it. Mike, uh, from the words of a warrior and from the mouth of a warrior, uh, we thank you uh, that, that you have been one. You have been a warrior and that you're encouraging others to stand and fight for a land that is worth fighting for. It's our homeland. There is, we have nothing else. I don't care where you're from. If you were born here, and even if you're naturalized here, this is what you have. Defend it, because if she goes away, if America goes away, she will not return. My God bless you, and God keep you, man. exactly right. You're exactly right, Seal, because you know what? I actually am. I'm, I was born in Canada, and I was raised here, and I would die for this country. Mike, you've proven it, and we thank you for it. Listen, God bless you, you, and God keep you, man. Continue to fight the good fight. I know that you will because you are. I'll talk to you soon, Mike Clark.